Welcome back to our series in the New Testament book of Ephesians. Last week, Kevin taught on the biblical relationship between a husband and a wife. And uh, if you didn't hear it, you didn't see it, it was a phenomenal message. I highly recommend that you go to YouTube and watch it or go to our, our podcast at, uh, our, on our webpage and listen to it. Uh, he talked about a gospel-infused vision for marriage. And that's what we want to talk about this morning. We want to talk about a gospel-infused vision for being a child and for being a parent. Okay, real quick, um, Jim alluded to this two weeks ago. Kevin touched on it last week. Um, But everything that Paul is talking about in these verses requires, or at least it works a whole lot better, when we are filled with Holy Spirit. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 18 says, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Do me a favor, underline, be filled with the Spirit. And some of you, and and I want to just do a little illustration, kind of what Jim and I do and what Kevin does, and I'm sure other people in our body. One of my mentors, uh, a man who discipled me many years ago, he said, Lee, he said, each and every day you need to wake up and ask for a refilling of the Holy Spirit. And he said, you, you need to confess sin and um, you need to say, Holy Spirit, fill me afresh again. This isn't for salvation, but for, for guidance, for power, for the Holy Spirit, to, for us to stay in step, as it says in Galatians chapter five, with the Holy Spirit. So practically, this is what I do um, every day. In my, in my study, I have um, what I call my chair of prayer. It's a little bit nicer than this, but not much. And it's where I have my, my Bible and my Bible reading plan and my journal and other books and my, I have my prayer requests. And what I do before I do anything else is, now Jim, because he's more spiritual than I am, I think Kevin does this too, um, they get out and get on their knees. Um, sometimes I do that when I'm super desperate, but usually, um, because my knees are real bad and my back isn't great either, um, I just sit down in my chair of prayer and it's lower, so I, f- I feel a little bit lower. And um, I just begin to pray. And I say, Father, um, forgive me. And I begin to walk through some of those things. I think it's good, just as a reminder. Like, um, it's hard to believe, but I got angry at Ruth yesterday, and I shouldn't have, or I, was, uh, I thought things I shouldn't have thought. Um, or uh, Richard Eller cut me off, and I told him he was number one. I did that. I shouldn't have done that. It was inappropriate. And uh, just conf- I just confess these things to you, and... I'm asking, again, fill me afresh, Holy Spirit, because I can't do this, this thing called life, without you. And I do it every day. Um, And I would encourage you to think along those lines. I had a professor in seminary, my Greek professor, one of them, I had two, but this one in particular, um, we were actually going through in our homiletics, that's our preaching class, the book of Ephesians, and they connected it with our Greek class. And he said, he said, Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 18 is a prelude to everything that follows. You say, what do you mean everything that follows? Well, the things that we've been talking about, right? So when you are filled with Holy Spirit, um, as, a, as a follower of Jesus, this is what your life should look like. And then he says in verse 19, he says, your life should look like singing songs. 
He says, we speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. We sing and make music from our heart to the Lord. Come on, let's be honest here. When you're walking in the Holy Spirit, man, you just want to sing to the Lord. I'll be honest. That's why I'm a little, I get a little bummed sometimes. I think maybe Andrew does too. When I know followers of Jesus get in a space like this and they're like, I'm going to keep it quiet. Man, if you're filled with the Spirit of God, why would you keep it quiet? You don't have to sing as loud as me, God forbid, but you got to sing, right? And so when I, when I wake up in the morning, I walk out, and Ruth will tell you this, I'm making, I'm singing worship, I'm singing hymns, I'm making up songs all the time, like ad nauseum. And I'm just like, God, I love you, you're amazing, you're phenomenal. I don't know what rhymes with phenomenal, but I know you're not nominal, you're phenomenal, I love you. I'm just singing, I'm just singing. And you can't help not to sing, right? One of the greatest inventions ever for me, at least for now, who knows? I don't know what will happen in this tech world. Isn't Spotify amazing? Like, I'm going back in time. I'm jamming to the Imperials. Raise your hand if you remember the Imperials, you old folk. Yeah. Yeah, when people just really knew how to worship. And I'm just, man, I'm all there. I got Keith Green on speed dial, man. I'm I'm up to date. I'm out of date. I'm just, because I want to sing because I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. Here's another result of of being filled with the Spirit. Um, We always give thanks to God the Father for everything. I know some of you are going, look, I'm not a thankful person. Then you're not filled with the Spirit. We have this, um, I laugh, but every day I walk outside of my house, Ruth put this sign over our door that goes into the garage, and I should have put it up on the screen, but I'll just say it to you. It says this, begin each day with a grateful heart. I know, you're like, that's so cheesy. Right next to it is their learn, laugh, live sign as well, right? Uh, no. But it's just a reminder. I mean, I'm walking out that door, and sometimes, even between the time I'm in my chair of prayer, by the time I go out that door, it could be hours later, I'm starting to get jaded, I'm starting to get negative, and I see that sign, and say, whoa, 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 okay, let's, let's step back. But these things are a result of me dying to self and asking Holy Spirit to live through me. Here's another one. You ready? Um, we submit to one another as followers of Jesus. Write this word down. As a follower of Jesus, I want to defer. I don't, I, I, I don't want to, um, you know, not have standards. I always want to have standards. The, the word of God is my rule, but I want to defer. I want to figure out how can, how can I honor you? How can I come alongside you? Here's two more. Kevin talked about them. I would really encourage you to go listen to his talk if you didn't. Um, when we walk by the power of the Holy Spirit, wives can submit to their husbands as they do to the Lord. In verse 23, husbands can actually love their wives sacrificially as Christ loved the church. So now Paul this morning, um, he's going to tell us that as we are filled with Holy Spirit, the result will be we can actually honor our parents and, and, um, not frustrate our kids. So, okay, a little bit of background before we dive in. This is important. Sometimes when people study the book of Ephesians, um, they think that Paul is reinforcing, uh, traditional family values of that day. Th- this could, there couldn't be anything further than the truth. If we look a bit more carefully, we begin to understand that Paul is actually uncovering the sins of parents in that culture. Now, what specifically does Paul uncover? Well, in that day, in a Roman culture, the rights of a father were, were frightening. Rome had a law called patria potestas, and it meant the father's power. And so men who were Roman citizens were given absolute property rights over their families. A, a, a Roman son, is this is a wild thought, never came of age. 
That is, his father had rights over him as long as the father lived. By law, the children and the wife were regarded as the, the patriarch's personal property, and he could do with them what he wished. As a matter of fact, a displeased father could disown his children at any time. He could sell them into slavery. He could even have them killed if he wished. When a child was born, this is wild, they would place the child between the father's feet. You're like, well, what's, what's going on with that? If the father picked the baby up, the child stayed in the home. If he turned and walked away, the child would be left to die or sold at auction. Seneca, a contemporary of the Apostle Paul, uh, described this Roman policy. He said, and I quote, we slaughter a fierce ox, we strangle a mad dog, we plunge a knife into a sick cow. Children born weak are deformed, we drown. We drown. This is the culture that Paul was dealing with. It's into this culture that Paul comes along and like Jesus, he elevates the value of children in an extraordinary way so that fathers have a sacred responsibility to their children. Paul revolutionizes the relationship between children and parents. The gospel, and this is what we're going to focus on, just like marriage completely overturns the culture's view views on children, it completely turns them upside down. So let's look at how the gospel transforms the relationship of children to parents. Ephesians chapter 6, if you haven't turned already, please do. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise. Verse 3, so that um, it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Uh, Paul says that that children should obey their parents because it's, it's the right thing to do. What is the underlying principle? Well, it comes from the fifth of what we call the Ten Commandments. Honor your, your father and mother. What does honor mean? Well, it involves three things. I didn't put it on the screen, but you can write it down. It means to revere, to obey, and to have gratitude. To revere, to obey, and to be grateful. It, it reminds us that God said that if you follow this command, then things will go well for you and you'll, you'll live a long life on this earth. Now, this is a general promise, not a universal one. When children die young or face hardship, it isn't necessarily because they didn't honor their parents. What this promise is saying is that generally speaking, children who follow the instructions of their parents will face fewer, fewer hardships and less danger in the long run. Why? Because generally speaking, parents are smarter than their children. They've lived longer. They have more experience, have made more mistakes, and hopefully they learned from those mistakes. They have, a, they have greater, a greater wisdom than their child. But Paul says that children should not just obey their parents because it's beneficial to them. No, he says, obey your parents because you belong to God. You belong to the Lord. The greatest motivation for children to obey is, is, is because it pleases God when they do. Okay, quick question. At what age does a child no longer need to honor their their father and mother. At what point in their life does this command no longer apply to them? I would say this. The parent-child relationship changes over time, but the need to honor our fathers and mothers remains the same. To me, it, it doesn't matter whether you're 5, 15, 25, um, 56. Paul's instruction on submitting to our parents applies to us. Now, as adults, we're no longer expected to obey everything our parents tell us to do. 
but we must continue to show honor and respect toward them and to carefully listen to the wisdom that they share. We must recognize that God has placed them in a position of authority and that we, and that we honor him when we honor them. You say, well, Lee, wait a second. It's one thing to say we should honor our parents when they're good, caring, and selfless, but what about when our parents are selfish, abusive, or have abandoned us? What do we do when our parents aren't Christians and they oppose our faith? Now, I'll be honest. I don't have perfect answers for these situations, but I still think that we're supposed to honor our parents, even if they're bad parents. But I suspect it will take on a different form. In other words, you don't honor an abusive parent by allowing them to continue abusing you. Boundaries are essential. It's important for a child whose parent that is abusing them, even as an adult, to get help and get out. Some of you may not even have a relationship with your parents because of the way they treated you. Let me say this. I'm sorry about that. I'm sorry about that. I think Paul is saying that we should try to find ways to honor the parents that God has given us. For some, that may mean just start praying for them. Just start praying for them. Pray that they would come to know the Lord. Pray that God would soften their hearts. Pray that God's love would change them. Pray that somehow he would heal your relationship. For others, it may mean that you just start by being civil. I get it. It's complicated. We have this, you know, it, when, when it comes to family relationships, and, and, and sometimes especially the parent-child relationship, there can be some anger, we'll talk more about that, that builds up and you feel like you have a right not to be civil. Just be civil. Rather than attacking your parents, choose to be polite, refuse to sink to the level of trying to hurt them. It's interesting, my mom would tell you this, when I first became a believer, I was the first one that I know of in my family and I began to share the gospel with my mom and my dad and my stepdad and um, my stepmom and uh um, there was a lot of hurts, especially from, from my dad, but also from my mom. She was, she's a recovering alcoholic for 30 years. She's been, she's been dry. Hallelujah. But man, growing up with my mom, uh, she got up at nine o'clock in the morning. She had a little tumbler filled it with scotch and drank it all day long. And she was there, but she really wasn't there. My father literally wasn't there because they were divorced when I was seven. And so all of a sudden, I become a believer. Holy Spirit comes to live inside of me. And I'm 17 years of age. And I'm like, okay, what do I do with this relationship? And I start to share the gospel. And they all start to mock me. They all start to make fun of me. What do I do with that? God said, Lee, this is your moment. This is your moment right now. Respect them. Love them. Honor them. Um, my mom will tell you, she'll tell you now, one of the things that brought me to Jesus was the radical change, not only in your life, but how you treated me. How you treated me. It was so evident. It was so evident. If you're in a situation like this, it saddens me. This isn't the way God designed it. I would encourage you to seek the Lord's will on how, on how you can show some kind of honor and respect to your parents, even if it falls short of what you would like that relationship to be. But remember, this is so important. What is it that ultimately allows us to love imperfect parents and, and care for them even at great cost? It's the gospel. Please write this down. The gospel, 
gives us the ability to forgive the sins of our imperfect parents because we see how much we've been forgiven. The gospel gives us the selflessness to care for our parents at great cost because we see how much Christ had sacrificed for us. It lifts us out of our pain and self-focus so that the way we treat our parents becomes a reflection of our love for Jesus. Okay, let's move from children honoring to fathers. Paul moves from children to fathers. Ephesians chapter six and verse four. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of of the Lord. Now, it is possible that as Paul is writing to fathers that he's thinking about fathers and mothers. Back then, culturally, talk about a husband meant to talk about a husband and wife. There is some debate among scholars in this passage, but to me, Paul doesn't use the Greek word for parents. He did that in verse one. In verse four, Paul is choosing to call out fathers, to use the Greek word for fathers. I think, this is my opinion, because fathers have the greatest ability to mess their kids up. Not hearing many amens right there. There's some, there's some mothers going, amen. I think because fathers have the greatest ability to mess their kids up and hey, the greatest ability to help them find their God-given identity by blessing them. Maybe it's because of our own struggles and issues and insecurities, but sometimes we fathers let go of the crucial, of the crucial God-designed privilege and significance of being a father. And I, I think Paul's like, I know your tendency, Lee. I know your tendency, Kev. I know your tendency. Let me, let me get real specific here. So fathers, do not exasperate your children. Another translation says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. The word here for exasperate is paragiso, and it means to lose heart. Oh, like even when I say that, right, you just go, oh, because man, in this season, have we lost heart? So many people who claim to know and love Jesus have lost so much heart that they're losing their faith. It's like, what the heck? What the heck? It means to lose heart, meaning that children, get this, they just give up trying to obey. They grow to resent their parents' authority. They get angry at them. Ultimately, they get angry at God, and they reject their parents, and they reject their parents' God. This usually occurs, this isn't an exhaustive list, but um, with unrealistic expectations, overprotecting, Right? Um, disciplining without love, reoccurring anger, little or no grace, hypocrisy, and believe it or not, no discipline. No discipline. So instead, Paul writes, this is a great phrase. He writes, bring them up. This phrase means to, write this down, nourish them. Fertilize them. Right? Fertilize them. Take care of them. My wife, Ruth, she loves to plant uh, all sorts of things. And she'll get the right fertilizer, and she'll plant it, and she'll nourish it. And, and, uh, and she's got to stay on top of it, right? The other day, I said, baby, I said, there's a freeze warning. I said, should we put a sheet on the new plants you planted out? She says, no, nah, I'm not worried about it. We woke up the next morning, half of them were dead. She didn't nourish them like she should have, right? She, she exasperated those plants, baby. They're angry now. Well, if they were alive, they'd be angry, so. I try to teach her, I do. (laughs) 
She said to me, because I said that yesterday, we went for a walk. She said, you could have done it. I'm like, I don't know anything about plants. That's your job. <laughs> Typical father, I'm out. <laughs> I'm out. It's the wife you gave me, Lord, right? So Paul writes and said, bring them up, nourish them, supply what they need to grow, fertilize them, um, uh, discipline them, give them instruction. Now, discipline means to help them, help, help them grow their minds and morals. Instruction means to help them um, to understand life and to have healthy, healthy boundaries for how to live that life. It's important, though, to understand the difference between um, discipline and punishment. Um, the purpose of, this is sadly the home I grew up in, the, the purpose of punishment is to penalize and focus on the past. You never. Remember back then, 10 years? You, I just, I can never get out from underneath it. Again, to me, it's why the gospel at the age of 17 was like, you forgive all my sins, past, present, and even when I'm going to sin. Yeah, I'm like, what is this? I grew up in a home. It's like, remember when? It's like, ah. It's like, you keep, I, you know, it's like I go to prison, I get out, and you put me back in, I go to prison, I get, I'm, I'm perpetually going back into prison. The purpose of punishment is to penalize and focus on the past. The purpose of discipline, please hear this, is to promote growth by looking to the future. Dads, our kids are looking for us to train them and love them by disciplining them properly. Now, here's a problem that has occurred in our society today. I mean, it's always been around, but it's really prevalent now. Um, it's where families have children where the children are in charge. And I get it. You've been seduced. Everything you read, you watch, uh, social media, it's like, let them make a decision at 3, at 5, at 10, at 16. They know what they're, what they're doing. Hey, newsflash, they have no idea what they're doing. Don't be fooled, right? Don't be fooled. Where rules and boundaries aren't applied with consistency, firmness, and love, um, children are allowed by default to make moral decisions way beyond their ability. I'm sorry, but I'm amazed at how many parents are saying things like this. I trust my 12-year-old or 16-year-old or whatever age to make really important decisions without parental input or guidance. What are you doing? Are you serious? As our boys were growing up, they constantly tested Ruth and I. Believe it or not, that's what they do. Hey, you know, I know I'm supposed to go to, uh, to camp, youth camp, but I, I feel like I need to just stay home that weekend and do my own thing. Well, really, you're 14. Oh, really? You're, I think that, you know, it's Wednesday night and it's, it's youth, it's youth night and, uh, I want to, well, I want to hang out with some, no, no. As our boys are growing up, Ruth and I often said, you don't know what you know yet. So guess what? We'll help you with that so one day you can make right decisions. Now, I get it. In parenting, there are, there's a certain amount of trial and error because one day you have to push them out of the nest and they have to fly on their own. I get that. I get that. But when it comes to significant relational issues and emotional issues and spiritual issues and sexual issues. You don't let your kids wing it. Well, how did that creep into Christendom? What's going on? 
Remember that without boundaries, children feel unloved, unwanted, and insecure. They become prone to rebel and to wander into all kinds of self-destructive behavior. They become angry. They experience depression and anxiety. Parents, do me a favor. Please write this down. Boundaries create security and provide a healthy pattern for living life. And guess what? They They demonstrate love. Hey, I've been in pastoral ministry for 30 years. Not once, ever ever did a parent who was raised, pardon me, a child who grows up and comes to me for counsel, not once did they go, you know what? My parents let me do whatever I want, and that worked out really good. Every single time they go, my parents let me do whatever I wanted, and I'm mad at them for that now. Why did they do that? What were they thinking? I was 10, I was 12, I was 18, I didn't know anything. So parents, we're to take an active role in shaping the character of our children. Proverbs 29 and verse 15 says, a child left to themselves brings shame to his parents. I know this is all pretty heavy stuff. So let me give you an encouraging quote by Pastor Chuck Swindoll, and then I'm going to finish with some practical helps. Chuck Swindoll in his book, The Strong Family, says this. I love this. Come on, dads. We could say, come on, moms. Let's start saying no to more and more of the things that pull us farther and farther away from the ones who need us the most. You're not perfect. So what else is new? You don't know exactly how to pull it off. Welcome to the club. Your family doesn't expect profound perfection, command performances, or a superhuman plan. Just you. Warts and all. Let's get started. So dads and and moms too, I want to help you get started with two resources that will help you um, nourish your children. The first resource is a little 50-page booklet you see behind me on the screen called You Have What It Takes, What Every Father Needs to Know by John Eldridge. I've now read through it. I, I had never seen it before until a little over a week ago. Now I'm like, wow, this thing is amazing. You can literally, it's a small book. Um, you can literally read it in 30 minutes. It is unbelievably encouraging. There is some conviction. It's very practical. Um, I highly recommend that you pick it up. We have it at the table in the back. I know it's, it doesn't feel like it's worth $4, but it is. It's only $4. So if you go back there, you want to pay cash, you want to pay a check, you can pay at the kiosk. If you say, I don't have any, any way to pay, I'll come back later. Great. Grab a book, come back later, and you can, you can pay us then. If you say, um, whew, I, I'm broke, take it anyways, and then come cut my grass this spring as it gets higher. <laughs> it's fair. That's fair. Just do it like eight or 10 times. That's fair. (laughs) Uh, The second resource is a book that changed my life. You you know I've mentioned this before. I read it in seminary and it it changed my life both as a son and as then as uh, I was a brand new father. And so um, it's written by Gary Smalley and John Trent. It's a classic. It's simply entitled The Blessing. Um, this book too is back at the table. It costs $15. It's worth every penny. And what it does is it looks, it goes back and looks at biblically how in a Jewish family, God laid out how you would bless a child. It goes back to Abraham. Um, and he gives five ways that we can bless our children. So I want to walk briefly through them. Hopefully this encourages you. The first way he says is a meaningful touch. In the scriptures, um, kissing and hugging and laying on of hands are all part of the blessing of a child. Touch communicates warmth, 
affirmation and acceptance. Um, for those of you who know me and you're around me, I still hug my 29-year-old son Noah and my 20, 29-year-old son Levi, and my 25-year-old son Noah all the time. I hug them, I kiss them, I, 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 I hold on to them, I won't let go of them. Sometimes it's a little awkward for them, but they feel, they feel loved. Number two, a spoken message. Um, I've heard some parents say, I don't have to say I love you to my kids. They just know it. And let me lovingly address that. That is a lie from Satan. That's a lie from Satan. Nothing could be further from the truth. We bless um, our young and old children with spoken words that mirror the values of God. So what I want to do right now is I want to bring up Kevin Rusak to give us an example of how he's done this with his three children. By the way, what a blessing for you all. Amen. He's two weeks in a row. Kevin Rusak. Yeah. Come on. Come on. So Kevin, um, what kind of spoken message did you give and still do, but did you give to Kate, Ethan, and Carson as they were growing up? Yeah. Hey, good morning, New Heights. Um, So you've maybe heard me talk about this if you've been to my Father Heart of God class, but growing up, I subtly or not so subtly got this message And the message was I had to perform for love, right? And so what was so revolutionary when I became a Christian was this idea that God, my father, loves me unconditionally, right? My behavior matters, but but he loves me because I'm his. And so I was like, how do I get this down into my kids' lives, right? Even at a young age, because our enemy just starts working on them even at a young age with these messages. So one night I go into my daughter Kate's room and uh, she was, she was little, uh, you know, she was probably, I don't know, maybe, maybe six or seven. And I, and I, and I'm tucking her in and I go, Kate, let me ask you a question. Why does daddy love you? And she thinks about it. And I go, you know why I love you? Because you're mine. And she gives me just this big smile and a hug. And she's like, I love you too, daddy. And I walk across the hall to my son Carson's room. I mean, sorry, Ethan's room. And he's, he's, you know, three or four. Um, and I say, Ethan, why does daddy love you? And he thinks about it and he goes, cause I was good today. And I was like, aha. So it starts young, right? Yes. And I was like, yes. okay. I was like, Ethan, I really care that you were good today, but that's not why I love you. I want you to know that I love you because you're mine. And he goes, thanks, dad, so much. And, I, and so he hugs me and, and I go, you know what? We have to do reps in the truth, right? We've, we've, got to, we've got to rehearse the truth to get it down on this level uh, that's in our hearts. So I decided to go in the next night and do it again. So next night I say, Kate, why do I love you? And she thinks about it a few seconds. She goes, because I'm yours. And I go, that's right. Don't ever forget it. And I walk across the hall. I do the same thing with Ethan. Why does daddy love you? And he thinks about it. He goes, because I'm yours, dad. You guys, I did it the next night and the next week. And I did it for a year. And I did it for another year. Literally, I just did it too. They saw it coming after a while. I'd walk in and I'd be like, hey. And they go, because I'm yours, dad. Like, I couldn't even, couldn't even finish the sentence. I'd, I'd come home sometimes. And I'd be like, I forget. Why do I love you kids? And they shout out, because we're yours, right? And, and, and so I still do it, even as they're grown now. And they're, and they're teenagers. They're getting becoming adults. I'll still do this. This is us just recently. And, and still, it's like, why do I love you? Because your mind. Those messages are so, so important mm. with our kids. Kevin, let me ask you, um, that's obviously a great example, unbelievably important, but is there ever, a, I don't almost like a bigger ceremony um, to bless our kids? 
Yeah. So again, that, that book that Lee was promoting, The Blessing, uh, I read that book and it's incredible. Uh, and I was like, I want to have times in my kids' lives where there's intentional blessing over each one that we speak life into them uh, and also identity, their God-given identity. And, and really, I believe that that happens really powerfully in community. And so there's, there's a picture here of us uh, laying hands on our youngest son, Carson, when he turned 13 last year. And, and so this, this was like grandpa was there. Uh, some of our pastors were here. His cell group leader literally had moved away. His cell group leader here at New Heights when he was younger had moved away, drove back here to do the blessing over Carson. And then some of the men here in this room who have just been in Carson's life, who've watched him grow up and they spoke words of just identity and blessing over him. And then we laid hands on him and prayed for him. We did this with each of our kids when they turned 13. We just chose to do it then. And it, it was just incredibly powerful. Awesome. So, Thank you, bro. Give him yeah. a hand. Thank, Thank you guys you. for letting me Thank share. Thank you. Mm. Meaningful touch, spoken message. Thirdly, um, and Kevin talks a little bit about this. Some of these kind of intertwine, but um, we need to attach a high value. Um, a, blessing, a blessing is given not because of what your children can do, as Kevin said, but simply for who they, they are. Um, three Sundays ago, I was watching... This is pathetic. Please come back, football. I miss you. But I was watching the end of the WGC match play golf tournament in Austin, Texas, going in and out of sleep, as I often do uh, Sunday afternoons. Um, and in the final match, there was this young man. I, I didn't really know who he was, named Scotty Scheffler. Quick note, he's leading the Masters right now. And uh, if he won the match, he would become the number one ranked golfer in the world. He's only 25 years old. Uh, a year earlier, he wasn't even on the tournament. You know, two years earlier, he wasn't even on the tournament. This is a pretty big deal. Well, he won, he won. And then right after the, the match, I usually I turn it off, but his whole family comes out, his wife, his mom, relatives, brothers, sisters. And then immediately his dad does this. And I want you to see it. <laughs> I love you, Scott. I'm more proud of who you are than your golf. You're a wonderful young man. Come on. Yeah, I know. I want, you to, I want you to see it again. I love you, Scott. I'm more proud of, of who you are than your golf. You're a wonderful young man. I mean, I was bawling in my chair. <laughs> Dad, I miss you. <laughs> Did you catch that? You, you say what? I get this. He incorporated the first three blessings in five seconds. His son just won over $2 million, number one ranked golfer in the world before tens of millions of people. I, I don't really care about what you did. That's good, but I care about you. I love the man you've become, not how good your golf game is. Five seconds, hugged him, touched him, spoke a message, valued him. Five seconds. Number four, um, picturing a special future. Are, are we communicating to our children that God is going to do great things in and through them? And I would say always be realistic, but cast vision for your kids. Let me illustrate. There was a Jewish mother um, walking her three-year-old girl and her five-year-old boy in the park, and she ran into her rabbi. And the rabbi said, who do we have here? 
And without missing a beat, the mother said, Rabbi, 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 have you met my children, the future doctor and the future lawyer? Do we believe our, our children have gifts and talents no one else has and that they are destined to change the world? Part of our job is to help them believe that about themselves, even, even when they can't see it. Now, this blessing of, of picturing a special future goes hand in hand with the last one, and that is we must make an active commitment to help them fulfill that special future. Smalley and Trent write this. They say, words alone cannot communicate the blessing. They need to be backed up with a commitment to everything possible to help the one blessed to be successful. I wrote down two practical ways that Ruth and I have done. Um, Smalley and Trent don't mention this, but this is what we do. Here's two practical ways. First, commit your child to the Lord through prayer. Every day, every way, literally asking God to bless your son or daughter. Be specific. It's not one size fits all. I get it occasionally. We pray the whole bless them, keep them safe. Uh, God hears that. But um, your child was fearfully and wonderfully made, hand-knit by, by the God of the universe. And so they are, and we'll talk more about this in a minute, they're specific. They have certain gifts and talents. They're made a certain way. Almost always, always different from if you have more than one child, different than another child. Number two, um, realize that each child has his or own unique set of needs, gifts, and talents. You know, when Jacob, I, I, this is so cool to me. When Jacob blessed his 12 sons at the end of Genesis, right? He's about to die. He brings in the 12 sons, the 12 tribes, so to speak. And the text says in Genesis chapter 49, verse 28, and this is what their father said to them when he blessed them, giving each the blessing appropriate to him. Specific. In other words, while the elements of the blessings might remain the same, um, how they're applied to the children will look different from child to child. The principles are the same, but how you bless them isn't one size fits all. Now, um, let me just encourage you. It may feel awkward to bless your children, but do it anyway. You say, but you know, Lee, I, and, and sadly, it's probably most people in this room. Um, I didn't get it until I was older. I'm grateful for that. But a lot of people never get it. You say, Lee, I, I never got it. Ever. I, you know, I, I hung around my parents forever. I hinted. I, I just, they never would bless me. You say, I didn't get it, so it's hard to give it. Well, remember that um, you, God has, has strategically, praise God for this. This isn't a burden, it's a blessing. God has strategically placed you as the one to stop generational sin in your family. Amen. You're the one to stand in the gap. Amen. No one else is going to do it like, like you can do it. Maybe you're a single parent or a grandparent or an aunt or an uncle or just a friend. But if you don't do it, nobody else will. If you're a parent, bless your child before they school. Go to school. Bless them before they go to bed. Bless them when they wake up. Bless them when they're adults like Scotty Scheffler's dad did. Okay, one last thing that I need to say. I would fail in preaching this text if I didn't bring it back to the gospel. Please hear this. We can't do this without the gospel. The gospel is not that we are worthy and therefore deserve blessing, but that we have sinned and we have failed and we need forgiveness. 
And better yet, we've received it. The gospel is the good news that before the foundation of the world, as we learned in Ephesians chapter 1, God chose his people to be holy and blameless before him. That means we can do this. The gospel is the good news that God takes people who are spiritually dead and saves them because of his great love. The gospel is the good news that although we all had imperfect fathers, and although many of us, if not all of us, are imperfect fathers, that we have a heavenly father who has made provision for our greatest need through Christ, through what Christ has accomplished for us. Maybe you're here this morning, and maybe you're watching online and you're thinking, I, I need to hear more about this gospel. At this time, um, I would like the worship and prayer teams to come up. So if you are here this morning, off to my left and my right and along the sides of our sanctuary, there'll be people. Some will have a prayer sticker, some won't. And if you're like, I... I want to know what it looks like to be a believer. The gospel is the death, burial, and we'll talk more about this next Sunday and resurrection of Jesus. The gospel brings freedom. The gospel gives us the ability to live the life that God wants us to live for his glory. So if you're here this morning, you want to hear more about it, talk to someone on the prayer team. Maybe... Um, you just want to pray for your children or your grandchildren. Or you need to pray for courage and strength to bring your kids up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Hey, we all need that. Maybe you need a prodigal or two prayed for. Remember, it's never too late for God to save your prodigal. And by the way, please hear this. I, I, I want you to really hear this. Um... I know there are parents watching online, parents in this room, parents outside of this room, who did a great, a great biblical job of raising their kids and they're still prodigals. I want you to remember something. They are still free moral agents and their story isn't finished yet. There's no perfect formula. Some of you don't want to hear this because we love formulas. There's no perfect formulas formula for making our kids love Jesus. You say, what, what do you do? We teach and model biblical truths and we pray like crazy that they'll come to know and love Jesus. That's it. Don't let the accuser shame you. Keep praying. Keep praying. Keep modeling. Chase after them like the prodigal God chased after the prodigal son. Run after them. Don't give up. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, you taught us to pray to God as Father. So, Heavenly Father, we thank you that I thank you that you're my Father. You are a Father to the fatherless. Of all the names we get to call you, Abba, Daddy, is the one you've designated. It's intimate. It's personal. For those who, who have godly fathers, not perfect fathers, but godly fathers, I pray that they will be grateful. Maybe they'll call them if they're still alive. Seek them out and say thank you. And for those of us who didn't have godly fathers or any father, I thank you that you are a father to the fatherless. And from your word, you've given us an example on how to be a dad or a mom. And God, I pray for those of us who are fathers that we would seek to submit to you as good, obedient children, honoring and obeying our heavenly father. And then as a result, 
we as men would learn how to lovingly, humbly, graciously, generously, joyfully love our wives and our kids. I pray all of this in the name of your obedient son, Jesus.